What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua Stein of the J. Stein Law Firm in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a small boutique law firm that focuses exclusively on representing plaintiffs in personal injury cases. I want to welcome you to the next episode of Sports and Torts, where each week we sit down with our friends, colleagues, and peers and discuss sports, law, and business. We have another great guest on today. We also may have a surprise guest towards the end if we can convince her to join in, in, in this conversation. With us today is our good friend, Emily White. Emily has a very unique and interesting story. She was born in Georgia, moved to Los Angeles around eighth grade, went to college in Los Angeles, and then moved back to Georgia. Emily is a powerhouse in business, and she has worked her way up to currently working as a vice president of real estate at this little-known company that some of y'all may have heard of. It's called Amazon. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Very glad to have you here. We're going to have a good time talking today. Yes, we are. Um, setting the stage, I always like to do that. Uh, we're at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, we're together. We are drinking a um, rosé wine from Ilsley Vineyards in Napa. Honored that you would crack it open. I begged for a glass last time I was here, and I was told no. <laughs> <laughs> Dana told you you couldn't have one? No. All right. Well, I, I guess I, I guess I'm a little more generous in, in terms of our I, wine. I guess. Um, I'm, I'm happy to drink it with you. Uh, I'm not a huge rosé fan generally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that you like to drink wine. I, I like red, red wine. I do drink some white, but this rosé is nice. It's, you know, the sun is finally out. We've had some cold weather, so I thought it would be, be a nice time to try this. Um, we were just in Napa a couple weeks ago, and, and the, this is a small winery we went to. Janice Ilsley, owner, winemaker, had a great time with her. Probably had too good of a time, which explains <laughs> why this many bottles came home with us. And Dana told me there's a shipment that is coming. But uh, nonetheless, this is going to be fun. You're wearing your UCLA shirt. I am. Proud, uh, pr- proud Bruin, and I hate the uh, USC Trojans. Yes. So, you know, you're also a Georgia fan, mm-hmm. um, big, you know, watch all the games, root for all of them. But I think that you're my only friends I know that actually went to UCLA. Okay. Um, from Atlanta, there's just not many people right. that, that got there. So I'm interested to hear your perspective and, and we'll get into that. But um, tell us a little bit about, introduce yourself, your background, uh, what you're doing and, and, and all that good, good stuff. Um, thanks for having me. Yes. Again, Emily White, proud friend of your beautiful wife, Dana. Um, My friend too, by the way. <laughs> yes, Data yes. can't have all of your friendship. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, um, I I was born East Side, um, North Side Hospital, um, and was I was born North Side Hospital too, by the way. Sweet, yeah. yeah. And so was 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 brought home by my mom and dad to um, East Cobb, and uh, lived off Lower Roswell, right behind uh, what used to be the old um, ice skating rink. Um, and lived there till I was five, went to High Meadows. Um, and then my parents unfortunately split up and my dad got custody of me and my brother. And, um, yeah, my life has pretty much been a journey since then. Um, never thought I'd be in real estate, never thought I'd be in business. Um, my, my passion was always teaching, wanting to be with children, um, and like everyone else that you ask that, you know, it was in commercial real estate, it, I just kind of fell into it. 
Got it. Well, we'll certainly certainly walk through your journey to get there because it's very interesting. Um, I, I think you told me you were eighth grade mm-hmm. when you moved to Los Angeles, so yep. 13, 14, teenage years, Southern girl dropped in the in the middle of Southern California. Yep. Um, culture shock. Huge. So when my parents split up, we actually moved from East Cobb when I was five-ish, almost six, um, out to Gwinnett with my dad because his brother and wife and my cousins lived there. And so my dad, being a single dad and working, having to travel, he needed, he needed help with his kids. So not only did I go from Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, to Los Angeles, I went from Lilburn, Georgia, to Los Angeles. And it was a complete culture shock. I'd only been out there a handful of times to visit my mom. And, um, you know, it's, I went to Beverly Hills High School. So I'm picturing, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know my question is going to be, right? What? Beverly Hills, 90210. Yeah. That's what you're, was that West Beverly High? Uh, Dana's in the room. She's shaking her head. She's seen every single one of those episodes. Oh, me too. Um, times, I've yes. probably seen most of them. I, I can I can admit that. I mean, growing Were up. Were you a Party of Five fan? No. Oh, see, I used to watch 90210 and then Party of Five. Yeah. No. Thursday I, nights. I, I mean, I watched, we watched, no, we didn't watch Melrose Place. I, I, no, but I, but I am familiar. With, everybody is familiar with with nine two and zero. So yeah. when you when you say that's where you went, I'm just immediately picturing you walking the hills of West Beverly High. Yep, there is no such thing as West Beverly High. There is one high school in 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 Beverly Hills. Um, it's nothing like the show. Um, the school is probably eighty percent Persian. Um, most people who live in Beverly Hills send their kids to private schools. Yeah. Um, Persian population does not. Um, and it's, yes, a lot of the kids drove, you know, Beamers and Mercedes, and you would occasionally have a kid that was dropped off in a limo. Um, and you, you kind of knew peripheral people that went to school that were kids of famous people. Um, a boyfriend I had when I was in 10th grade, uh, was best friends with Rod Stewart's son. So cool. got to meet Rod Stewart a couple of times, go to some pretty epic parties. Um, any other celebrity sightings of note? Oh, I've seen a lot. Yes. More, okay. I guess that's a pretty bad yes. question. Pretty sure. Any, any, any good stories, encounters, people that live near you that would be worth discussing? Well, since you asked, um, when I was a senior in high school, my mom and stepdad moved to Bel Air, um, and which is, you know, 20 minutes from, from Beverly Hills. So I, you know, commuted to and from school. Um, and my neighbor who did not live behind a gate, but lived on the street, um, in a, uh, semi rundown mansion was Adam Sandler. So I knew the answer to the question, obviously, <laughs> and I'm not good. Well, I should be good about asking questions. I know the answer to, because my job requires me to know the answer to every question I'm going to ask sure. right, in court. I don't, I don't, don't want to be caught off guard. Um, but I wanted, I wanted you to be able to deliver the news because mm-hmm. for me, um, and a lot of my friends growing up, he was the guy. Yeah. Right. I mean, Saturday Night Live, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. He's now one of Graham's favorite actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, we watched those two movies, Grown Ups. I'm sure your son Connor, same age as Graham, they're mm-hmm. very good friends, likes him too. So that's like a dream of mine for Adam Sandler to be kicking it across the street. I mean, did y'all interact, hang out? We did. I went to a couple parties at his house. One, one was a Halloween party that um, I got an invite to. Um, so just to kind of set the scene for you. In, in prominent areas in Los Angeles, you don't, ever, you don't really see the house. Everything is behind gates. Um, my house that I lived in um, was behind a gate, but for some reason, he lived in one of the only houses in Bel Air that 
um, was a three-story mansion. Um, and when you first, the first level was street level and then it like cascaded down from there. So his parking lot where his cars were and his friends would park was on the street. Um, and when I first realized that he moved in right after we moved there, um, I didn't really believe my eyes when I was pulling out to school one morning and I see Adam Sandler. He always drove a Cadillac. So I'm picturing him out in, in the front yard yep. dressed like we see him in yep. the movies. Syracuse hat, big un hockey jersey, un un hockey jersey always. untucked, um, cockeyed hat yep. with the same group of friends. You know, I mean, his movies, you know, Rob Schneider, always David Smade. Like, so is that, is that his real life always too? Always there. Yes. That's Rob, awesome. Rob Schneider was always there. Um, they'd be kicking it, um, in the driveway in the morning. Um, you could tell they probably had a late night before he always had white socks on. Um, and he actually didn't wear a hat as much as you would think. Um, but he was a really nice guy, but a very, just very strange. We need to look him up. We need to tell him that you were his past neighbor <laughs> and you know, we got to get connect. in touch with his agent. Maybe we can get him on the podcast. You think you'd want to? <laughs> All right. So let's, we don't need to spend a whole time talking about him, although he is one of my favorites. Uh, so, um, you go to UCLA, yep. which is, is an awesome school, uh, but a different college experience than I'm assuming I had at Georgia or, or a lot of us around the South have. Oh yeah, um, completely. So, you know, it's huge school. Is, mm -hmm. it, is it the biggest state school in California? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just talk about your experience there in, and you can include the athletics too, because I'm interested in Pac-10 sports and they view it very differently than we here in the SEC. Yes, completely. So while I was, you know, shipped off to California to live with my mom, my whole family still lived here. Um, and everyone in my family, actually, with the exception of my dad, my dad was a big Georgia Tech fan. Everyone else in my family went to Georgia or was a big Georgia fan or would go to the tailgates or went to Georgia State. Um, so I knew what that experience looked like in comparison to what I was going through. But UCLA is situated in Westwood, California, which is a How far is that from Los Angeles, from like Bel Air, where you were living? Five minutes. Okay. Yeah, so Bel Air is is, is 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 spread out, but if anybody who's listening that that, that knows LA, um, it's situated right on the four or five near the intersection of I ten, the heart of LA, and it's um, the most beautiful view as you look up at the Getty Museum. Um, and the way that you, the UC school system built all of their campuses, they're, they're just massive. Lots of greenery, rolling hills. I mean, just absolutely stunning, um, but very very spread out. Imagine there's not a football stadium that is adjacent to the campus, no. right? There's not there's not a Sanford Stadium that the whole university kind of circles around. Not so at all. So UCLA plays in the Rose Bowl. Or mm -hmm. they, they still play there? They still do. Which that's Pasadena. It's 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 an hour. So it's an so it's a yeah. so it's an hour from campus, meaning that your Saturday afternoon football game, you're traveling an hour to get to a home game. As and think about it, back in 1998, when I was a freshman in college, there, there was no Uber, there were no cabs. I mean, you either could afford gas money to drive to and from the hour. Some people, you know, either their parents were scared for them to go into town um, because it's not in a great area. It's in between Compton and Pasadena, actually. Um, and so there was, you know, a safety component depending on if there was a, a riot or, you know, there are a lot of variables. So that probably explains a decent amount why the, you know, fan support in the Pac-10 does not rival what we have here. Because I guess if you're telling me I've got to 
figure out a way to maneuver myself an yeah. hour away from my dorm or apartment to go to a football game, I'm probably not going either more than a couple of times a year. You know, and, I went, I went to the Georgia, Georgia tech game over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, my cousin and I took, took Connor and I don't know if you have been to tech lately, but I, I hadn't been there in years. I forgot and underestimated how amazing it is that Bobby Dodd is literally across the street from all the fraternities. It's right there. Stumbling the, distance. Yeah, all the fraternities lead right into the stadium. Uh, you know, Bobby Dodd is, is it's not a huge place. Mm-hmm. I think it seats like fifty to sixty thousand, which is still a nice size. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, the proximity right then and there and the real estate it takes up in downtown Atlanta is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Good for Georgia Tech that have that. Yeah. Now <laughs> another discussion is whether they can fill it. <laughs> this, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fans have shown that uh, they're a little disinterested, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, Georgia fans, you know, came earlier this year and just took it over. But uh, that, 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 that's interesting. So you probably went to a handful of games in your career. In this, I went to a it. handful, definitely did went, went to more, you know, athletic events on campus just because again, proximity, you know, ease of transportation, um, I don't know if you've heard, but UCLA is known for their basketball program. Uh, <laughs> so a little coach by the name of what? John Wooden? John is that, Wooden. Is that, is that who their coach was? The <laughs> Wizard of Westwood. Kareem, yes. Bill Walton, yes. the Abannons. The Abannons, you know, I still associate them with, we're, we're Nate Benjamin likeness now, but they were the first ones that kind of want to be compensated for the silhouette. I think it was Ed or Charles or one of those. Many, 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 many years. Many years ago, yeah. UCLA basketball has always been a thing. Yeah. Are are y'all good now? I I truly don't know. Right now, we are, I think, second in the Pac-12. Cool. So, I mean, we're always a contender, you know, final eight, final four. I always, of course, have to put them at least in the final four, even if I know there's probably no shot. But that's the great thing I love about college basketball is that really until kind of right now in February, I mean... Everybody has a chance. Everybody's got a chance. <laughs> except for Georgia. Yeah. We well, have no chance. <laughs> so, so you mentioned that you wanted to be a teacher. Yes. And I know you told me that you you taught, I think, at a Jewish Orthodox school. I did. Obviously, I'm Jewish. <laughs> so that's of interest to me. I'm not Orthodox. There's, I'm, I'm very far from it. But uh, talk about that experience. Yeah. So when I got out of college, and I, I, I was very blessed. I always did really, really well in school. Could I have gotten into UCLA now? Of course not even though I had good grades. It's just, it's way too competitive. Um, but I, I, I worked, you know, full-time in, in school as a nanny and I picked up as many babysitting jobs as I could. Um, graduated um, with a degree in English um, and went straight into teaching. And I played around with going into the public school system where I had done student teaching or, you know, going, going private. And a friend of mine's mom um, had said, hey, there's a position I heard about, but it's a modern Orthodox Jewish school, but it's like the premier school. And I was like, I don't, I mean, I, I know that Judaism was all my friends in LA were Jewish, but... Big Jewish population in Los Angeles. Huge. Yeah. Um, so I went in for the interview and the thing that, the thing that sold me was all the holidays you know, I'm 22, 23 years old, partying, you know, you know, working by day, partying at night at, you know, at She's this like, point. like, this thing called Yum Kippur sounds awesome. <laughs> There's this thing called Rosh Hashanah and I don't have to go to work those days. Sign me up. I, I mean, it was it. like 30, I mean, in, in addition to the federal days, you know, it was like 38 days off. And so I was like, yeah, sign me up. And um, it was an amazing school, great experience. Um, but and, and I made a really great connection of friends. I think I was one of like four people 
um, that was not Jewish. I was going to ask if, if that was, obviously it wasn't a requirement to teach there, but there was other non-Jewish faculty members. That's cool. Good. I mean, you, you want that. You want, you want the influence of lots of different ideas and thoughts and diversity. So that's good. Yeah. Um, and then you transitioned to real estate, which you're in now. Yeah. So, so yeah. what made you go from teaching Orthodox <laughs> Jewish kids in Los Angeles to now working in real estate across the country? Well, um, great question. Uh, you know, back then we didn't, we didn't really have Google. Um, Google had just kind of become a thing, but the way that you looked for jobs back then was you opened the paper. And Which is wild to think about, right? Like, like getting a paper, looking at classified ads, like, oh, they're hiring. That sounds good. It's just, it's, our kids will never know that as a medium of getting never. a job. Or that, is that what map. you did? Yeah, that's, that, that's what I did. I actually, over one of many, many, many Shabbat dinners I was at, because all of my friend group and colleagues, they all celebrated Shabbat every Friday. So that was like built-in Friday night plan. So I'd go from like, you know, praying and eating and drinking well to a club. I mean, it was very bizarre. Um, so Two just uh, roll right into one another. <laughs> they do. Hey, it's the day of rest. I mean. Going into the day of rest. Um, so I actually was at a, at a Shabbat dinner one night, and there was a, a guy there, a, a dad, that was in commercial real estate. And um, he's like, you know, he's like, you really – you talk well with people. He's like, you need to be in sales. And I was like, I can't sell anything. Like, Have no way. Have you ever had a sales job before? Never. I mean, I worked at a clothing boutique when I was in high school briefly, but um, – and he's like, and he said um, that there was this behemoth global company called Equity Office Properties, uh, and he had heard that, that that they were hiring. Well, I didn't even get or qualify one of the jobs that Equity Office Properties was hiring for, but I did find one. It was temporary over the summer, so I knew I could do it for a woman that was out of maternity leave, and um, took that job it, working behind a desk as a tenant service coordinator. You know, you talk to tenants walking in and out of a large office building. You deal with vendors. And um, I just, I fell in love with it. I just, I, I loved it that every day was different um, and that I got to wear multiple hats. I was never bored. And um, while you're not selling anything, you are, um, you know, selling the brand of the building that you're responsible for managing. So you're, you're in your 20s. You've now found kind of your niche, what makes you tick. <clears throat> you're, on, you're on a somewhat temporary job, I mm -hmm. guess, because it's from maternity leave for somebody else. And now I guess your goal in your mind is I got to go find a big player and get a good job and start, start the career path. Yeah. And you ended up at Cousins. I don't know if that's your next stop. but That I was that not my next stop yet. So once my three-month stint was over, I did go back to teaching my final year. And then I moved here to Atlanta after that, um, between 25, 26 years old. And um, I was like, God, I really, really don't want to teach. I know I want to make more money. I know I want to do something other than being with kids. But, you know, you spend money and time on resource on, on learning something in college. You feel like you're kind of letting yourself down that you're not pursuing what you, you went to school it. to do. Right. Um, the great thing about, about um, having a degree in, in, in English is you can probably write pretty damn good emails. And you I hope so. You hope so. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope you so. You read and write a lot that when you get a degree that big fancy UCLA degree to test. Yeah. So, and I knew that I had a really good gift of well-crafted emails. I knew that. So, um, I, uh, again, opened the paper. And after I uh, taught just briefly after coming back to Atlanta, um, I just wasn't happy. And I took a, another tenant service coordinator administrative job with Regent Partners. 
um, who is one of the original Atlanta Buckhead developers. Um, they developed Tower Place, that whole development, which is what I was responsible for managing. My, my former place of employment. Oh, really? Uh, 21st TP floor. 100? Shout out GMLJ. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100 building. Yeah. Yeah. I was there for 10, 10 12 years. Great building. Pro- our past probably crossed it. Probably point. did. Probably um, did. But I know where all the bodies are buried in that building. Um, and so worked. And all those crazy neon green lights that I know. light up at night. I heard that was because of the Olympics, they did that. Something. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know that I ever heard that. that but so, so who knows? But, but all this led you to a place where. Um, you know, when I, I've known you for several years now, but, but most recently working for JLL, which mm-hmm. stands for Jensling LaSalle. Yeah. In a, in a, in a role with Amazon. Mm-hmm. And so I know you probably have to answer this question all the damn time, mm-hmm. but people are fascinated by Amazon. Mm-hmm. It controls all of our worlds. We, they, we, they've created something that we cannot live without. No doubt. So I'm fascinated. I know that people listening are fascinated. Like you don't need to bring behind the curtain, but what do you, what do you do for them? Talk about the company. Um, well, you know, from, from going through a, a few different, you know, real estate shops over the course of the last 17 years, yes, you touched on Cousins. I also worked for, for almost eight years, um, Tishman Spire, which owns Rockefeller Center. It's a privately held real estate firm um, and really, you know, cut my teeth on commercial real estate, property management, asset management there. Um, did work for cousins for a little while in their medical office space until they restructured a fund and couldn't keep me. And, um, and I, I, I made a strategic decision in my career. And I think anybody who's career minded can relate to this. Um, I had a little bit of career burnout of doing high rise office. Um, and I had a mentor of mine that said, in order for you to really take your career, the, you know, to the next step for the last, you know, 20 years of it, you got to find your niche. And I knew at this point in my career, one thing I really loved to do was I love to lead people. I love, you know, team management, change management. And so right before joining, uh, JLL to, you know, head up the, um, Amazon account, um, I took a master's in leadership course for oh, cool. 18 months and it was a, it, it was a time, cr- time grind, time suck. Um, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. All right. Summarize 18 months of class, <laughs> what you learned for in 30 seconds. Go. Is that, is that a fair question? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, leadership is about, uh, people management. Um, one of the biggest things that you can do as a leader that you're not supposed to do, but is most human is that you expect everybody to do things the way that you do them. And one thing that we have found over year, years and studies is that what makes a great team is diversity and having people that have different thoughts and ways of doing things. Um, if you as a leader expect your team to execute exactly the way that you do, you're going to be disappointed. Every Especially day. if you don't tell them, right? There's not the proper communication. Got to communicate. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I follow that trap all the time. I just assume because I like how I do something or in my brain, I know how something should be done. I just assume the other person can do it and should be able to do it. Yeah. And I skip the part where you have to show and teach and work together mm-hmm. and so I, maybe I need to take that course. Is it still available? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of leadership courses out there. And for a while, it was a buzzword. And so um, now it's it's a real philosophy of, of, of leadership. And once you are able to prove yourself as high-value talent, 
and a leader of change, because that's what this world is, is change, especially in e-commerce, right? Things are always changing, staying on top of technology. You can take that, that skill and do anything with it. I can lead teams even though they're not specific to commercial real estate. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, it's, it's a quality that, that everybody needs to work on. So one thing that, that I, I've, the last couple of podcasts, I've talked to folks that have started their own businesses or mm-hmm. working small businesses. You're kind of the opposite, mm-hmm. working for the biggest biz, business there is. Um, I don't want to shortchange that path. I think that, that people can do very, very well working for big companies if they find themselves slotted in the right place sure. and they know how to kind of do it correctly. So so speak to the other side. I know you've listened to, to John Christodor's podcast. Yes, Patel. You, kind of, you, you mm-hmm. heard kind of their perspective about, you know, what led them to, to their past, but, but you've taken a, a different path just as successful. So, so talk about the other side of it, working for the big company. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to say, um, Bo, I am also pro bow tie, just so you know. Um, Another shot to Lawrence Kessler. <laughs> but you have to know how to tie it. I do agree with that. Um, yes, I've l- listened to all the podcasts, and I'm such in awe of, of, of these individuals that, that you have an opportunity to speak with that take the risk, right? And it's, it's true what they say. In order to be successful, you have to know the calculated risks in which to take. And even though I am not an entrepreneur, um, I have played it more safe in, in going through, you know, corporate America, um, you know, in order to be a strong leader and manage change for your team that you're ultimately responsible with, you do have to take risks within corporate America to push the envelope. Yeah. To, to say that it's, it's a risk averse lifestyle is incorrect. Yes. You're, you're, you're still putting yourself out there every day with every position, taking on roles that maybe you got to figure out how to do it. Right. Yeah. You got to, Fake it till you make it. There's there's a lot of that going on. I imagine. I'm not saying you've ever faked anything. Like no, that. but there, there is. is a, yeah. But there, yeah. There, there, but there is a sense of act like you've been there before. Act like you know what you're doing, and people will just kind of assume that you do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, let's not you know ignore the fact that being in corporate America, especially these days, there's so much political stuff that you have to deal with. But in order to continue to move your career within a corporate structure, you have to know safe boundaries in which to cross over. Because if you're never going to be successful, just a number in corporate America, because you will be left behind and they will forget about you and they will work you and take out every resource that they can in order to get the results that they want. That's right. I've always been impressed with you as a woman in corporate America Mm -hmm. and, and a mother and balancing crazy schedules. Um, To the extent you feel comfortable you know, talk a little bit about kind of the woman's role in business now. So it's gotten better over the last several years. There's been, there, there, there's been a real big push, um, to put women, um, in, you know, C-suite levels. Um, saying that, you know, commercial real estate, especially in the South is very male driven. Um, Amazon is a very male driven organization, very structural, very hierarchical, Um, and there's not a lot of consideration for the fact that, you know, you have kids at home or you have to get them to the baseball field at 515. And, um, because the majority of the, of the individuals that you're working with on that senior level, they're, they're men normally. And I mean, their wives stay home. I mean, they don't, they don't have to think about, well, can I not go to this mixer tonight? Cause I've got kids. 
They just go. Carpool is taken care of. You, you picking up for practice yeah. is taken care of. You wake up, go to the gym, go to work, and you come home, and everything's hunky dory. And so, um, it's um, it, it it's been difficult to find my leaders that I want to be in alignment with that can understand what my lifestyle is. And you know, going back to you know taking taking risks. Every time I've moved my career upwards, um, it, it, it's been more a question of, is the person that I'm going to be working with, that I'm responsible to and reporting to, going to align themselves with what I have going on in my life? Yeah, your values. So on, on the front end, are you pretty clear? Like, look, this is, this is how I have my priorities. This is, I'm going to do a damn good job for you. I'm going to work my ass off, but I've got a son at home. And He's an important part of my life. Is that something that you in the in the front end you have to just communicate and make sure they understand? Um, I haven't really had those type of conversations, but because at this point in my career, I'm not like punching a time clock. You know what I mean? I can go to Target at eleven o'clock on a Thursday if I want to. But earlier on in my in, in my career, when I knew I had to be at my son's daycare to pick him up at a certain time. Um, yes, I was, I was very clear in what those working hours would, would look like. I mean, it's no surprise that, I mean, Amazon's a grind. There are conference calls at eight, nine o'clock at night. There's a lot of, a lot of business that happens based out in Seattle on the West coast. Um, and so trying to find the boundaries, like I talked about, um, so I can still live my life and take care of my son. It's, it's, it's a juggle. Yeah. I mean, it the, is. The, the, it's a real it, juggle. Just because it's 5 p.m., the emails don't stop, oh, especially no. since your counterpart are in Seattle. So on Amazon, I'm going to ask the simplest question, and there might not be a great answer, but how in the world does my wife hit a button on her phone for <laughs> God knows what the product is, and within 24 hours, it appears on our doorstep every time? I, it's it's magic. Um, is that what it is? Is, is, David, is David Copperfield <laughs> swimming around in the interwebs, like watching my wife search... I mean, uh, purchase history and just make sure the boxes are just dropped at my address. I know it's, and it, we get so angry when something doesn't come to us when it's supposed to, right? It I mean, has to be 24 hours. Yeah. Like I went and ordered you a special hat through the Amazon site so you could sport it today for your podcast pictures and it didn't come on time. Which by the way is hilarious. <laughs> it's so it's hilarious. When, 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 like we discussed this, I don't even know how long ago, last week, a couple days ago. And you're like, oh my God, it's a great idea. She sent me pictures of this hat. Uh, Bezos is going to have it delivered in time. And then you show up today and you're like, guess what? Didn't show up, didn't which I guess isn't up. the best kind of, you know, promotion for Amazon, but I'll be damned 99 times out of a hundred. I know it does show up. I know. And, well, and, and there's probably six boxes on my front door right now. Um, well, f first of all, a lot of people probably don't understand how critical the Savannah port was to e-commerce in the Southeast. Um, the, the, the largest and busiest port where we get everything from, let's face it, China is in Long Beach. And just like how, um, airlines compete with each other on, uh, where to have, you know, home bases like Delta's obviously here in Atlanta, shipping and logistics, they do the same thing. And so, you know, 20 ish years ago, there was, there was a group of high net worth individuals that went to, you know, local Georgia senators and said, we want to really try to push the Savannah port to grow. And we can, obviously it's more tax revenue. Um, and it's just all around good for business, especially for e-commerce in the Southeast. So 
there's a really good chance that whatever Dana orders off Amazon um, every day, um, all the time, uh, is probably coming from the Savannah port. And um, if you haven't toured it, please do. It's fascinating. Take your kids. Um, but I mean, it's exactly what you would imagine. That good or that that good or merchandise is loaded off of a truck. Um, or excuse me, loaded off of a pallet onto a truck, um, and it you know treks on down I-16, that, that drive we all hate. Uh, it comes north up to I-75, and then that's where things get a little, little more complicated. Um, so Amazon uses what we call last mile runs um, and 3PLs, third-party logistics companies. Amazon outsources a lot. To, to other groups. To FedEx or... No, FedEx and UPS is the end result. But believe it or not, when the good gets off the port, before it even gets to UPS and FedEx, it may hit two or three destinations before it actually ends up at your door. Um, right now, um, there is a lot of conversations happening around the contract between FedEx and UPS. Um, it's n not going to be a surprise to anybody that Amazon has figured out a way to take out. Do that themselves, I'm guessing. Yeah, to say. take out. If we can cut not, them out and do it the last part of the trip, like we'll not have to pay somebody else to do it. Right? That's correct. So when you said la last mile. Last mile. Last mile. That is, that is once it gets to its final distribution home here and it goes to Indian Hills or it goes to wherever, that's the last mile. So when you click on something on Amazon, a lot of times you'll see sold by Amazon or sold by third party, per, third party seller. If you buy something, even though it qualifies for Prime and it's sold by a third party seller, that is where FedEx and UPS ends up at your door. If an Amazon truck shows up at your door, that means that you bought it directly from one of the Amazon warehouses that I probably manage. The consumer doesn't much care. Of course not. They're just clicking on the shirt they want. Not looking at. Make sure it's prime. Make sure, <laughs> make sure it's well, prime qualified. I, I don't want. I want to talk about prime too, but I, I, you're you're giving such good information. I hate to take you off of of your train of thought. But before I lose my train of thought, which easily happens, prime just increased their um, subscription one nineteen to one thirty nine. Yep. I imagine they lost zero customers. Zero. I mean, I don't know if that data is even in yet, but they're going to lose zero customers. That's correct. Um, they probably could keep stair stepping it up. I don't know what number they're going to hit when people will cry uncle. I don't think we're close to that yet. It's amazing how, how Amazon introduced a product, this, this prime subscription. No one thought they needed, but now no one can live without it. Mm -hmm. And they priced it so low initially. It used to be $100. Remember, $100. 99 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And now they have basically brought everybody in that... They, you can't live without it, right? I mean, is that, is that how the company looks at it? They, 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 they have recurring revenue that they pretty much can charge what they want. Yeah. Within so, reason, of course. They can't charge $1,000, but I don't right. think they plan to do that. Well, um, another thing I think that will probably surprise some, pe some, some people is that Amazon doesn't make money selling things to you. 60% of Amazon's revenue, over 60%, is on Prime memberships. Really? And through cloud services. So um, I, I pulled a couple of little statistics before coming here. I think this, this may or may not surprise some people. I love, so, I love when, when, when the guests come with like statistics <laughs> and preparation and like they can spat out these awesome numbers. So awesome. Thank you. What, so what you got? as of December of 2021, 60% of all adults in North America have Prime. I, 
You could have said 99%, I believe. Which, which equals 172 million people. Incredible. Signed, have, have signed up for Prime. Which then, if you want to quantify it, Amazon made $24 billion in Prime memberships. And now that it's going to increase, it's probably going to be closer to $30 billion this year. So again, the majority of Amazon's revenue is based off this Prime membership that they have created that now you can't live without because who the hell wants to pay 6 $7 for You think when Bezos started a bookstore, he was thinking about a Prime membership that was going to be $30 billion worth of their revenue? It's who fascinating. Knows? Who knows? Now, what is, the, what is the, corporate cult, the corporate culture, if you can speak to it, like about him? He's, he stepped away. What... what what do people think about him? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think you think about him what you read on the news. I mean, he's so far removed from, you know, day-to-day culture, honestly, at this point. Um, Amazon does have a new C- CEO, um, Brian Aflofsky, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, he holds the quarterly earnings calls. Um, and he is really more now in charge of, of creating the um, and, and continuing um, the culture and really, let's call it what it is, ultimate profitability of Amazon. Amazon stock has been very um, volatile over the last year because of the you know issues with supply chain and um, and on on the last earnings call, actually, they he, Brian, talked in detail about where do where, where are we going to be the next ten years? And interestingly enough, they're going to be moving away from real estate growth and they are focusing now 30 to 40% of their capital spending on transportation. So that would be what airplanes, trucks, drones. Yep. I mean, are those things real. I mean, we, we hear about it, kind of joke about it, but it's, it's, it, it's all real in Atlanta. For most of your listeners, you're probably not going to see for a while anything dropped off of your door via drone. That technology is more being used in rural areas um, because in, in in industrial real estate, we uh, look for places to put Amazon or their last mile runs or the third party logistics companies um, as close to the city center as possible. You want to be as close to the population so you can get stuff to their door same day. And look, I mean, Amazon's got Amazon Grocery now. And they are competing with Instacart to have something at your door within two hours. So over the last several years, um, we have been working on cold food refrigeration centers. Um, Amazon bought uh, Whole Foods Market. Yep. They 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 piloted those um, cafes like in Seattle where you would walk in, grab what you wanted, and it would like automatically bill you. There's no cash register. They have those all over New York now. So. That, so those are happening. Those are real. And is the concept as simple as they've got some sort of payment application that is either like in your, they put in your brain or in your phone, you walk in and grab your sandwich and you're gone. Well, I know at JLL, for an example, um, I work out of the corporate office and um, we have a self-serve deli. I mean, it's all, it's all AI, right? There's, there's a camera, there's a QR code, there's no human. And we pluck, pluck, scan, scan, and it knows immediately if you don't pay for something, an alarm goes off. And it's 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 technology that's in most corporate, you know, high-end corporate offices all throughout the world. Um, but anyways, circling back to what you're saying about transportation, I want to talk a little bit about that. 
So when Amazon strategically said, hey, look, we want to cut out the middleman. We want to cut out the last mile runs as much as possible. We want to cut out you know, FedEx and um, UPS. And we want to take it all in-house, right? We don't want any more third-party sellers. We're not making any money off of them. So there's a couple of things that they've had to do strategically to do that. One is we need, we, we need more real estate. We need more warehouses and more distribution centers because if we're not going to use third-party sellers and third-party companies to get goods that we're going to tax to the consumer anymore, we, we, we need more space. Guys don't have, to, have to have a place to put all these goods. That's correct. So they have really been ahead of the trend on development. Um, going to Prologis is the largest industrial developer in the world. They've partnered with them on find me land and Prologis said, okay, we're going to raise a few billion dollars and we're going to go buy. We don't know when we're going to even use the land or develop it for Amazon, but we're going to go out and buy a hundred million square feet. And they're always in, I mean, not always, but you'll find them in the most random of places, right? You'll be driving between, you know, Augusta and Atlanta and that stretch of I-20, not mm-hmm. much there. You'll pull off and then, oh, there's a big Amazon warehouse distribution center, mm-hmm. right? And it's huge because that's where land is. Yep. And, and people go crazy when they see them. It's like they see the Easter Bunny <laughs> or Santa Claus. Quick story. We were in Orlando last week for my daughter's volleyball tournament. And we had some time to kill. And, and, and Dana and a couple of their wives we were with, they just wanted a cup of coffee or something to kill the time, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And so they're on their phone and, and, and they're looking for places and, and an Amazon Something of Amazon popped up, and it was You're a, like ah Amazon, and it was like a warehouse <laughs> yeah. where you where you hold groceries, and they're like, oh my god, it's Amazon, it's here, and I'm like, what what do you think it's going to be? Like, what are y'all expecting to go find? It's really so, not exciting. So by God, by God, I'm driving, and they're like, Josh, go. I'm like, what do you expect to find there? But that's the power of Amazon. So yeah. we pull in, and the girls get out, and actually, John Crisdor was with us. I uh-huh. think he got out too, and. uh they're like, yeah, this is like a warehouse full of stuff that's ready to get. So like, there's nothing. You, number one, you can't come in here, and there's nothing to see here. Definitely cannot get in. That's yeah. True. So, so are we are we moving towards a future where those kinds of uh, buildings and warehouses are going to be popping up more and more? Yeah. And so what what Amazon is now saying is, okay, look, we've had exponential growth over the last several years. We are by far the largest tenant in the United States in in the world, really. But you know we focus more on statistics here in North America. We're by far the largest tenant. Um, one area that they have been uh, strategic on, Amazon's always ahead of the curve, right? That's why whenever anybody works for them, there's all these you know strict NDAs. You can't tell them they're looking for space. Um, but everybody knows, like, oh, it's an Amazon deal, like eye roll, you know? <laughs> the um, yeah, the eye roll, I love it. They are, they are starting to work with local developers, not only here in Atlanta, but across the United States on taking old malls. That's the next thing you're going to be That's a seeing. good use for those malls because those are dying. So that's, North that's, Lake, you're, you'll, you'll be hearing publicly, North Lake Mall, that's going to be a 2 billion square foot Amazon facility. Makes that, a lot of sense. Yep. Makes a lot of Gwinnett sense. Gwinnett Place Mall, North Point Mall is now being looked at as um, a redevelopment site. Because not only are malls centrally located, let's think about it, malls are centrally located. Before a mall was even developed, even 25, 30 years ago, you're doing a demographic study. You want to be around people with money. Um, you're obviously looking at what we call rooftop income. How much do all these, you know, households make? And that's where you develop them all. So by having a distribution center, 
in, you know, non-functioning real estate like a mall anymore, it's a win-win. So again, that was an Amazon real estate facility where we've just been ahead of the curve and rethinking how do we find space in fill, which is like in-city location, in high demographic neighborhoods where we know they're going to buy stuff. And we can get it to them instantly. So it adds... All the pieces come together, mm-hmm. right? And and it's just it's just brilliant, which doesn't surprise me. Amazon's done everything right. Uh, the way you talk about it, you're, you're smart. You can be. I'm not the least bit surprised that, that you've educated me, and I hope people listening uh, mm-hmm. a bunch today. Um, you're a powerhouse. <laughs> that, 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 that's what that's what I believe. Look, um, I you know when I moved out of high rise office, that, that was that was the space I was in for a long time because, and I told you I was kind of burnt out, and I made a jump into, you know, e-commerce industrial. Look, that was four years ago. No one even cared about e-commerce and industrial until COVID. That, well, so I want to ask, I want to make one more, one more point about commercial real estate and what has COVID done to inventory? Because I think I'm wrong in the sense of, I, I, I thought that COVID was pushing everybody out of commercial real estate and there's all these empty office buildings mm-hmm. for sale. I don't know if that's the case. What are, what are you seeing? Um, well, the la- the four- fourth quarter 2021 numbers for, for office weren't great. I mean, in, in, in Atlanta alone, we've got 34% vacancy. Um, on the flip side for, you know, industrial e-commerce, we have zero. There's no room. There, and that's why large users like Amazon have been working with developers to just build me something, build me yeah, something. Or, or take over a mall or something like that. Take over a mall, find, find the land. You know, I think, um... I think office will rebound. The large commercial real estate users throughout the world have been have been very strategic in um, getting their employees back to the office, right? So look, when the CEO of JLL is on CNBC telling people, please go back to your office, it's safe with COVID, wear a mask, we have to actually do it, right? And so I think office will rebound, but it's going to be a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty, but yeah, I think the the last the last numbers I saw is between thirty three and thirty five percent vacancy. Look, pre COVID, it was like five percent. Yeah. Yeah. My office building, we have ten floors. I see the same ten people max every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just, it's just, I mean, the parking lot's empty. It's a ghost town. I, I, you know, I think people got very accustomed to working from home, but yeah. I don't know if that's the long term kind of play. I also think the rental market is different than the buying market Mm -hmm. trying to find a building or some sort of office part to buy i think is is pretty difficult like 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 residential real estate like you can't find can't find a house to buy yeah i think i read i read recently there's a trophy building in buckhead that recently traded for almost double what it was just bought for like five years ago insane insane yep who knows where it's gonna stop but it, let let it keep going, I guess, if it's if it's good for business. So I'm enjoying this wine. You liking it? I love Th- it. This rosé. I am I am wanting to buy a bottle, but there's no bottles to be had. You only order two of these. I heard. No, there's more coming. <laughs> um, we have the website too, uh, and I can I can put it on the. Can you buy this off the website? Because you know you know how some of the providers are in Napa. It's you have to actually be at the winery to buy them. We're tight with Janice now. <laughs> right. No, I don't know. She she, she probably would, would be able to get us some, but um, I'm enjoying it. So let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, your son Connor uh-huh. is fifth grade. Yep. Same age as Graham. Uh-huh. They've been playing baseball together, basketball together, football together. Am I missing any other sports? All sports for for all the last last several years. You're you're a mom that's very involved. Very. Dana is a mom that's very involved. Mm-hmm. I have brought Dana 
off the sidelines right now, and she is in front of a microphone for the first Finally. time on this podcast. Dana, He's welcome. not hiding me anymore. <laughs> welcome to the show, Dana. Thanks, honey. So I wanted to, to bring you involved, bring you in this conversation, because I think the two of you can speak very passionately about youth sports. Uh, we live in East Cobb, which is the hotbed, mm-hmm. certainly for baseball, and, and really so for, for all sports. It's, it's you know, every, every season there's multiple sports the kids are playing. We always hear a lot about the dad's perspectives as coaches, right? Um, I want to hear y'all's perspective. Y'all, y'all are just as vested in it as the dads are. Y'all get just as excited, if not more, than the dads and the kids. So, Dana, I'll start with you. Tell me, you know, first, again, welcome. Uh, Thank you. To- Wait, let me first say, I sat here and listened to Emily, and I've always known you were really smart and, like, very business savvy, but I've got new, like, total like woman envy about oh you right gosh, now. You're like, so sweet. So I, my, my job was pretty easy, right? I, I just had to ask you a few questions. I just sat back and I listened mean, and was educated myself. I've always known you were a smart businesswoman, but like, damn woman, you smart. <laughs> <That's> very kind. <laughs> so, yeah. but you know, I'm very impressed by you. Let me just thank you. You're welcome. There's a question pinning on the table too, by the way. Um, she has ADD. She already forgot the question. <laughs> Go ahead and repeat it. <laughs> a mom's perspective on, on sports. So, Sports are my love. Like, I think I, I talk about when we did a video um, for Jay Stein Law Firm, because apparently we like to talk talk a lot, um, is like a lot of my job as a mom is I play uh, Uber driver. But I tell you, like, that's my life. That's mm-hmm. what I love. I love, like, baseball season is just kicking up again. And, like, I'm all in. I'm ready. Like, I've missed baseball season. Yeah. Granted, we played basketball. We played football. We played Flag football, whatever. Emily, who do you think is more excited for baseball season, the moms or the kids? The moms. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I'll use Connor as the example. He just rolled off of his first season of tackle football. He started every game, just like Graham. I mean, and he's always loved football, but he really has ignited and it's ignited a new passion in him. This is what he wants to do. So it's been a little hard the last couple months getting his brain wrapped around, okay, well, baseball's coming, baseball's coming. And it was just recently, two weeks ago, where he was like, I'm pumped for baseball again. So he was like, oh, thank so, God. But here's what it is. And Dana falls trapped with this too, because she was like, Graham, you excited about baseball? And he's like, yeah, whatever. The kids are excited about whatever sport they're playing at the time. That's true. Which is the way you want it to be, mm-hmm. right? You want them when they're in football and, yes. and being successful like Connor was. I love, I love football. When they're playing basketball and, and doing well, they're playing basketball. Like they're too young to, to, in my opinion at least, to just focus just on one sport. So I love the fact that all of our kids and all our friends' kids, they're very diverse, you know, in the sports that they play. But baseball is what everybody always comes back to. Yeah. But Graham always says, like, if you ask him to rank his loves, to even today, baseball's still his love, which mm-hmm. I'm so happy with because baseball's still my love. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I agree with you. It's my love too. It's what I played yeah. growing up, and it's what I enjoy coaching him the most and watching him play the most. But I enjoyed the football season. Mm-hmm. This was Connor's first year too. Yep. So, for, a lot of our boys. Yeah. 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 So, from your perspective as, as a mom, watching them, you know, put on pads and a helmet and, and intentionally hit each other. Mm-hmm. Like what, what were you feeling watching? Cause you were the team mom. Like you were on the sidelines. I was the, on the team mom. I was, I was voluntold that um, I was going to be team mom. And you know, I, again, being such a, a, a busy businesswoman, 
I, I, I'm always like, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, but, um, I was voluntold and loved every minute of it. And I think the reason why, um, a lot of families and felt that I, I was successful at it is because my job is to be responsive and accountable. That's all I do is answer my phone. I'm on an app. I'm texting people. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And so, you know, the responsibilities were completely in alignment in that situation. Um, so I, I, I loved it. It was a lot of work. I'll probably do it again in sixth grade if I'm asked. Yay. <laughs> so what's going I'm through sure your Sarah what, Haas is happy to hear that too. What, what's going through your mind when Connor's running downfield and, and, and a big tackle happens? Um, I mean, he's a big kid, so I, I don't know. I never, I never was scared. I never was. My brother played football. A lot of my cousins did. My dad did all through high school. And so it was nothing. I, I just, I, even being on the sidelines every single game, you know, helping kids, you know, scraping, you know, scraped knees and hurt ankles and whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I was surprised. I wasn't, I really was never fearful. How about you, Dana? I can't say the same. <laughs> I mean, he loved football and I could see it in his eyes that he He's loved so football. Good at it. But every time he walked out there, I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like in terror. I mean, so, and, and obviously Josh, you know this and Emily, you probably have an idea about this, but like our families are always everywhere and our, both sets of our parents come to every game, mm-hmm. every baseball game they can be at, every basketball game they can be at, but put football out there and they're barely coming. Yeah. They, they don't, <laughs> the, the grandmas don't want to watch baby boy get hit. Yeah, well, they weren't in favor of him playing in the first no, place. But he, he, he's going to come back. He's going to do it again. So, so I thought it was a good experience. I thought that that Connor was tough the whole year. Graham progressively got tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, he was kind of deer in headlights, and that's natural. I mean, it's something yeah. new. He ended up being very successful, and, and he's going to go back next year, which is awesome. Now, compare that to, and I'll ask you first, this Dana. You know, what goes through your heart and your brain when your son is on the pitcher's mound? Oh God, I'm a hot mess. I mean, I, I, a hot mess. I'm a hot mess. I can't. Um, and, and obviously you've watched me at every game that our kid plays, which I hate for one, I hate missing games. Like if I have to miss a game for mm-hmm. something, it's, I'm besides myself. I'm talking to another mom, like what's happening, what's happening. Cause he's not going to answer my phone or answer his phone or answer my text message. But, um, when Graham pitches, I'm usually pretty, I usually am, am very proud, but I'm still pacing. I'm pacing back and forth and he's, you know, most part until he gets frustrated, he's doing a great job. And I, um, but I think I'm, I think I'm more stressed out than he is. That's probably true. How about you, Emily? Yeah, same. Connor loves pitching. He loves the pressure. Um, you know, if you obviously Graham and Connor, we played together, you know, several years ago, we were on a team together, but he always has a smile on his face. He loves it. He loves getting up to the plate when it's bases loaded, you know, two outs, full count, ready to hit a bomb, get on base. He thrives on the pressure. That is that is probably the best characteristic and trait you can have, right? You want to be in that position. You love it. And the, the kids, you know, they've had a lot of exposure to, at a young age, pretty high intense mm-hmm. pressure situations. Like it's wild, the games they've, they've played in. And you, there's some kids that back down from that and other kids that rise up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Rand does a good job in pressure situations. I mean, he got put on the mound at the, you know, the last um, – the, to get the last two outs in the World Series championship game last year, mm-hmm. and that's about as proud as you can be of somebody because Absolutely. they're they're old enough now where they kind of understand the situations. Mm-hmm. They know like 
what's important and what's not like what's a regular season Pinto game versus what's like the last out of world series. Yep. And said so the it's more measurable, the, the more that's measurable. Yeah. The more they can expose themselves to that only helps them in all walks of life or getting put on the mound at one thirty AM. We did have a game that went you know, past midnight and they knew Graham could handle it. Too. Yeah. Cause he's like his mom and he, and he stays up late. Party animal. Yeah. Hey. yeah. <laughs> um, is there any truth to the rumor that moms in the stands with Yeti cups don't have just water in those Yeti cups. <laughs> um, I plead the fifth. Yes. Mark Lickman, close your ears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Molly Israel, close your ears. Mark, Molly listening. Um, there's actually, there's all these, I know y'all are on TikTok like I am, but there's all these TikToks about ways to disguise your drink and your Yeti. And the most popular one, and I actually have done this only one time, is you cut the string from a tea bag. And you hang it over outside of your Yeti cup. They think you're drinking so tea. Drinking tea. Stop. I've got to remember that one. Brilliant. Well, you just you just ruined it for everybody. <laughs> I mean, I, oh, Dana, since when do you drink yes, tea? You drink I'm tea? having a lovely glass of tea. It's like 100 Saturday. degrees in middle of July in Panama City, and you're drinking warm tea. I mean, my yes, yes, I am. My default is a Starbucks cup with a lid. That's pretty good. That's a little. That's much more incognito than the standard. Because everybody Yeti. knows the Yeti now. Everybody yeah. knows the Yeti. Hello. That does not mean uh, for all of my teammates, moms, and dads that are listening that every time I have a Starbucks. I was gonna say. Wait, but I was gonna say like I carry a Yeti everywhere I go because I, I constantly water. am drinking water. But it post the time is water. Might be not all the time. Yeah. yeah. So Dana, our daughter plays volleyball. Isabel, of course. Um, and we love watching her play volleyball. Compare you sitting in the volleyball stands watching her to sitting in the baseball or football or basketball stands watching Graham. So here's the deal. I love and thrive, like love to watch her play volleyball and I love what she does and how proud she, you can see the pride in her face when she plays. Mm -hmm. You can see how, you know, she's loving it out there. I realize that it's, (laughs) that I don't know all of the kids that she plays with. Like, I know all the boys that we play baseball with. Mm -hmm. Like, we've been playing baseball. Graham is playing 11U baseball now, and we've been playing with them since Mm 5U. So those women are my best friends. Those kids are like my kids. They'll come in my home, and they know that they're comfortable to hit my pantry. They're comfortable to spend the night. They're comfortable to do everything. And I know their moms have a trust thing. Volleyball is different because every year you're on a new team. A new crop of kids. It's a new crop of kids, a new crop of parents. So yes, we've got, we're like, we have families that we've been with for a few years. Um, we're very lucky this year. We have the Christadoras on our team. Um, the Durkings have been on our team for a couple of years and we love them dearly, but like the other parents, we don't know. So it's, you're still sitting on the end of the sidelines but you don't know if that that mom right. is on the same team as you are. The, the game itself, I think it's very fu- it's it's much more fun than the word fun watching yeah. a volleyball oh, game it's, because it's intense. It goes it back and forth. Fast. It's fast. The pressure, I don't feel as much there for the kids or for the or, or for the family. So you, like we'll leave some baseball events like just as fans, just like Drain. worn out. No voice. Well, actually, I leave volleyball with no voice though. But I mean, these kids, you can just see them playing their heart out. But it's a different intensity. Like volleyball is on for 30 to 40 minutes at a time where baseball you can get up and talk to your girlfriend right it's you're slow. well right it's, mm-hmm. it's much slower pace yeah. and maybe that's why it's a more social sport for us because it's not on the entire time where volleyball you blink and you miss three points emily yeah. did you grow up involved in, in sports watching sports like professional sports on tv oh yeah i mean my my dad was a huge braves fan um 
And I mean, every single Sunday, uh, we would, you know, eat, a, we, we would eat a late lunch and watch the Braves. Um, and of course, Falcons, my dad had Falcon season tickets. Um, and he was a huge Georgia Tech fan. So I went to too many Georgia Tech baseball games more than I would even like to count. Um, and then when I was out in California, you know, the, obviously the football scene is very different. Right. Um, and just the sports scene in general. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I went to volleyball games when I was in high school because my- I never, I never, like, I have a girlfriend who used to live in the neighborhood who said something to me the other or put something that she used to play volleyball at Wheeler when we were growing up. And I was like, Wheeler, Wheeler had a volleyball team? Like, <laughs> I went to Wheeler, graduated from Wheeler right. for four years. And I'm like, we had a volleyball team? I had no idea that we had a volleyball team. But yeah, I think one thing that, that is cool about, you know, our kids being involved in sports is that at least for Dana, it's made her more interested in watching professional sports on TV because she understands it more. So like, yeah. like her and Isabella were right with me and Graham watching every step of the Braves playoff run. Sure. I don't think you'd have done that if, if Graham wasn't. Is it or Isabella. Or, or Isabella, I was going to say. Or, or her She's more exci- almost more excited for baseball, for Graham's baseball season than I am. She keeps talking about, oh, it's baseball season. Like she's so excited. And I'm like, Okay, girlfriend. God, I wish she could drive and me pick too. up some of the uh, driving duties that go along with baseball. That'd Girl, be great. me too. <laughs> soon enough. Lots soon of enough. shuttling around. Yeah, well, well, look, Emily, um, so much fun. Uh, you've educated me. Um, Dana's learned a little bit. Hopefully listeners have too. Um, anything else we didn't touch on about kind of your work history, your your journey in life, where you've been, um, that, that you want to... No, I mean, I think, some, again, some of the best advice I've been given by a few mentors in my life is find your niche, find something that you really enjoy doing about a job that is not always very pretty to do, right? I mean, I'm, I'm entrenched in financials all the time, dealing with a lot of HR issues with you know team members and recruiting and firing, but I, I found what I really love to do, and that's leading my team. I've got 15 people that I'm responsible for, and I don't take that for granted. I'm, they, they have kids. They have, they have apartments they have to pay for. They've got car payments, and I want to make them as successful as possible. That's right. And, um, Good for you. Yeah, so find your niche. Yeah, you want to be, a, what does it really say? Don't be a jack of all trades because then you're a master of none. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. I think that, that, is that a dig at me? No, not at all. Not at all. That's just what Emily's saying. Um, if you don't, if you never find a niche, then you never really get great at something. That's right. You know, we've talked and about hopefully the, you find a niche that is translatable across all business lines. That's the goal, right? So like, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm always going to be in commercial real estate, but I can take my experience and I can take my skills as a proven leader showing exceptional results and take it anywhere. Yeah, it's great. Well said. Um, Dana, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having and, me. And I'll, I'll thank you for putting up with me with my decision to start this podcast and probably drive you crazy with me talking yeah. about it and producing it and editing it and all that goes hey, on. Hey, I will say I'm very proud of you. I When you decided, said you were going to do this podcast, I was like, Oh crap! What am I going to end up doing? Um, because for those of <laughs> you, you who you don't did. know my husband very well, he's not the most tech savvy person in the world. Um, and so I figured that I was going to have to do the tech savvy part of this adventure. But now I'm very proud of you. You have done great with it. You've figured out all this fancy machine stuff that I don't even have a clue. I mean, every now and then I come in and try and help you with things, but like. 
you you've taken this and you've run, baby. I like that. I'm, I'm very proud I of you. Appreciate that. What are you in? What are your intentions with this podcast? Who he didn't have a clue. What guest asked you that recently? Was it Bo? Bo did. He said, yeah. what, are you, "What do you want to do here, Sign? Yeah. What are you doing? I think I want to do this when I grow up. <laughs> I Big mean, boy job. I mean, have have my friends come over, people I respect, people I can learn from, pour a drink and talk for an hour. Like, okay, yeah. you know. So, you know, it, it's whatever happens with this podcast, I've already enjoyed it. We never would have sat and talked like this, but for putting a microphone on, right? Like I've yeah. known you for years, but there's things you taught me today and we wouldn't do that just hanging out, kind of shooting the breeze. So to me, that in and of, in and of itself is already a win. Honored to be the first woman on the podcast. Thank you so much yes. for having me. Thank you. Yes, yes. You, you've set a very high bar for, for future oh, guests. Yeah. So thank you for coming. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this, please tell a friend, leave a comment, let us know what you think. Please subscribe. Until next time, keep chopping.